Hey, everybody, welcome to the AppLog Podcast, episode number 82. This podcast is brought to you in part by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash AppLog. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or Kindle. It says here also for your MP3 player, but isn't that what those are? iPod. Let's say that iPod. Tons of books. If you're like me and you like to listen to books and there's not a lot of time to read them, you listen to them in your car, this is the way to go. Go to uh, So download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash apolog. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash apolog for your free audiobook. This episode is also brought to you by Amazon.com. Go to the apolog.ca website and click on the banners on located on the right side. Locate your country, whether you're from Canada, USA, or the UK, and bookmark those link banners. And every time you shop on Amazon, you can use those links to shop and support the show. It costs you no extra money. Go to apolog.ca, click on the banners, and you know the deal. Patreon.com slash is a pledging site where you can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with gas and hosting fees. You can cancel at any time. My current patrons are Michael Pitts, Curtis Pippen, and Mark Peralta. Thanks, guys, for supporting the show. That's very, 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 very cool thing to do. InsightRecorders.com. InsightRecorders.com is a place where you can get a few things done. One of them is get download codes. If you need download codes to sell virtual copies of your album over the merchandise table, Insight will set up a customized page with your branding for customers to both download and purchase your music. It's a very, very cool thing, and it's much better than iTunes. It feels like you're taking control of your own destiny. Go to InsightRecorders.com. Another thing Insight Recorders does is online mixing. You can send your recorded album to Insight, and it'll be mixed and mastered with a professional touch to it. There's many more other services, like I do record bands there. So if you're, and I'm taking bookings for this summer, go to InsightRecorders.com for rates and more details. See, that's all the spots. That's all I'm doing now. I'm not doing the fetch class no more. I'm not doing Musician's Friend no more. I'm not doing all that other weird bang good crap. Hey, how do you like that? Let me know what you think of that. If you if you think that's a better way to go, or if you want to hear more about banggood.com, then, you know, get back to me. Today's guest is Brian Doherty from Big Rec. Brian is the lead guitar player and founder of the band Big Rec. Brian got his start as a musician very early. He's gone to, uh, he went to Berkeley School of Music, and he's a very cool guy, very down to earth. We had a very cool, long, awesome conversation. Uh, thanks to Colton over in Edmonton for setting this up. Everybody, let's listen to now the conversation with Mr. Brian Doherty from Big Rec on the Apple Log Podcast. Bye-bye! You know what? I don't know if we've actually met in person. We've worked along, you know, you've worked in bands. Well, in bands, I worked for bands. Um, we've toured in diff- on the same tour with different bands. So um, let me let, let me introduce myself to you. I, I used to work for Trouble Charger. I used to tour around with them. Uh, we did Somersault and we did Edge Fest. And I think Big Rag did Edge Fest, right? The, yeah, I think I, that's probably where I met you. If anything would have been on Edge Fest, like that crazy tour. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you and you had Eric Blakely as your guitar tech on that tour. Yes, correct. And there was a special, <laughs> yeah. special, um, special night in Calgary where he drove a golf cart into the side of a tour bus. Does that ring a bell? Oh, you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I think I think some of the stuff that was going on in our camp was a bit of a highlight of the tour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, stuff like that. Yeah, he actually he was turned. He tur- he was turning, looking at somebody. I think it was me. I don't remember. And he half in the bag, like everybody else. And uh, somebody said something. And he said, "All right, well, I'm going to go then." And he pressed the gas, and he just drove. The bus was like, or whatever he drove in. Was it a bus? Yeah, it was a bus. Yeah, whatever it was was right here. And he just turned and went forward, and it was. Because he didn't realize it was there. I <laughs> so, think yeah. two days later. Yeah. I think. Uh... 
it was Jeremy from uh, Our Lady Peace and somebody from some band. They got they flipped one in Edmonton, uh, a, a golf cart, and got almost thrown in jail. That was that same tour. And uh, was it? yeah, and that was the time when you could just people were stealing golf carts, and the product production manager was this guy named Tex, and he is now or was maybe still is down at the amphitheater as the production manager, and he's an angry crotchety man, <laughs> but uh, we didn't make his life any easier by stealing all his golf carts and driving him into sides of buses. That was a yeah, it was a fun tour though. Something that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that was cool. That was our first. Yeah, that was our first big kind of festival thing. It was neat to you know wake up in the morning and see thirty buses in front of you going up through the Rockies. You know, and half the time you didn't even know it was on your own bus, right? It's like you wake up and people from other bands and crews would be lying in your front lounge, passed out naked. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, because there was that. There was this. Your your sort of first record really, really blew up, didn't it? Like it really hit hard, and people were all about it, and it sounded amazing, and it was obviously played well. And uh, did you work with Matt DiMatteo on that album? Yeah, 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 yeah. He did. He, he engineered that at uh, that little place, Presence, on, in Toronto. That used great to... sounding little room. That was all tape, console. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, it was great. We did a 24-track game console and taped the whole thing, you know. It was did in like nine days there. And then, you know, once we got signed with it, we were off to L.A. to mix it with Puig. But, uh, no, that was a great little room. Yeah, yeah. And Matt, Matt is a great, great engineer, great sound guy, and he, and he worked with other bands. I think he worked with Rusty, too. I think he did one of their, one of their albums. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Wardman. Wardman was uh, the producer, so that was the same team that did our first record, did the Rusty stuff. It's yeah, I think that was actually before. It was right before us, actually, before before our first record was done. They did the Rusty. Yeah, it's yeah. it was the the first Rusty with like Groovy Dead and all that stuff. Like, but but I gotta say, I mean, like that sounds great, but but your album uh, to me, it just it really it. It's it was it was I guess going to LA and mixing it made a big difference on the on the overall outcome, right? Uh, I don't know. To be honest with you, I think right out of the gate it was kind of I don't know. Like we did it there in nine days. We I think we could have mixed it and had a really good result. I think once uh, we got involved in the big record company thing, it was the big massive budget, and you got to go out to LA and do it with a big name and. And all that kind of thing, which was great too. I mean, you know, big, right? But yeah, you know, were you originally? When did you join Big Rec? Like, when when did all this come together? Like the the early beginnings. You've obviously played in bands your whole life because you you you're a guitar player, and you know, and when when did you start getting into bands? Actually, that's a better question. Like, when were you really into bands and stuff? Probably late teens. I studied music. Like, I was a pretty serious i studied trumpet classical really seriously until i was in my my mid-teens and i got an injury up in here that was permanent and i kind of stopped playing but i kind of goofed around with bass and guitar uh on and off till about the same time when i quit playing trumpet and then i started playing guitar more seriously and jammed with guys in high school that kind of stuff and then uh after high school before i went to school i uh before i went away to college i, I played I had my full-time job and played with some local guys and we did some recording and demoing and some shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Nothing too, well, nothing really, nothing too much came of it. Uh, but then I decided that I just, I, I really wanted to pursue it a bit more and get better at it. So I, I went to Berkeley and uh, I took actually, it actually took some lessons with uh, John Petrucci, who was from a town over two towns over from me on Long Island in New York. And, uh, he gave me a couple of things to get started on before I went. Uh, it helped me kind of get in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then uh, my first, I guess it was my second semester at Berkeley, I met Ian. And uh, we hung out a lot together and spent a lot of time at night just listening to music and hanging out. It was really cool. And then the second year, um, we moved in. We lived in an apartment together and blah, blah, blah. Things kind of went from there. So yeah. you're you're originally from... The New York then? Yeah, actually, the original bass player was a good friend of mine from, we hung out together, we both from Huntington, Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and Forrest the drummer, the original drummers from Boston. So all three of us were actually three of us from the States. Ian was the only one from Canada in Toronto. It's funny how people penned Big Rec as the Canadian band when, yeah, like three quarters of it was from <laughs> from from the States. Yeah, but really at the end of the day, it's probably it's Ian's thing more than anybody else. I mean, you know, he's the principal guy there. So sure. So concerned, you know. Just because we hooked up there, right? We lived in Frame. Then we lived in we lived in Framingham, like at Forest Place. We had we built a little studio in his apartment there, and we lived there for like a year and blah blah blah. We bounced around, mm-hmm. went through hell, and we lived in the crappy apartments with the roaches crawling on you, you know, not eating much, just trying to play and write and record and move on. So yeah, but it was most. We ended up we ended up basing out of Toronto, so. And what what brought you to Toronto? Was it was it uh, the fact that Ian was there, or or did you do you always sort of was is that what sort of made the band move there? Yeah, well, Ian was there, and uh, there was interest in uh, in the demos and in some of the material and in mm-hmm. the band. So mm-hmm. we moved there, and then uh, yeah, we lived, and we uh, I guess that's when we would have signed or got involved with the management company, Management Trust at the time, which was Bernie Green, Jake Gold, Alan Gregg. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and they got it. They kind of got us started putting us out on little tours, with like the Watchmen and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so we 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 at that time right, we based everything out of Toronto. We lived in a little crappy place on Dundas and Bellwoods, which is over a fish market. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's an interesting concept to know that you know you do kind of suffer for your art, and when you suffer for your art, the the payback is much greater when you get a little head or you get some a little head in, in life or with your music and right yeah uh you know we've when you get into it and you you know you, you've read the books and you've, you've heard all the stories about how rock bands go through this and they go through that before they get signed uh it's different when you experience it you know like we were sleeping over a, a fish market in the summer that just constantly stunk and like when you were sleeping or roaches calling, crawling on you and mice running around and rats and stuff. And we didn't have a dime. I mean, seriously, we didn't eat for days. Really? Uh, we had a couple of, a couple of uh, Ian's buddies every once in a while would stop by and like drop off food. You know, we, we really actually, we didn't really have anything. It was, it was a horrible experience, but mm-hmm. you know, and, and- uh, going through the, going through that stuff is, gives you strength, I guess, for, as you get bigger, right? Yeah. When when you when you got all this interest and the the the, the, mo- the momentum built built quite fast, and a lot of people were interested in, in Big Rack for you know, and it happened. And there was like there's somebody just saw somewhere where the music was going and said, "This is where we need to. This is where we need to go." Uh, tastemakers, so to speak, you know, picked up on your band. What was sort of the attribute to that? Like, because everything sort of has a reason, right? Like, Pearl Jam was a result of Nirvana, or Nirvana was a result of Pearl Jam, or Guns N' Roses. Everybody hated Guns N' Roses, so they went through Nirvana. Like, what was your early? What sort of got you in the door with influences and things? Like, what, what was it explained to you? Like, you're the next this or whatever. I think a lot of the bands at the time that that period of the '90s, like for us, it would have been '97, right, mm-hmm. when that thing really started to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the bands that were out there, the Soundgardens, the Pearl Jams, the, the bands that you're mentioning, mm-hmm. were influenced by a lot of the things that we were influenced from. You know, we we listened to the Zeppelin and Floyd and uh, Neil Young and, and all that, so all the '70s stuff, which was what all those guys were copping, right? Yeah. Even you know Black Sabbath and all that stuff. You look at the influence of that on you know Soundgarden or whatever, right? Yeah. We I think we were all coming from the same place. We were all ripping off the same people. Uh, I think it had a bit of a different it just had a bit of a different tinge to it you know and I think there was a magic inside the band I think that those four guys at the time playing together was something that nobody else was really doing there was a I think it was a bit it had a schooled edge to it I think Mm -hmm. and it felt right you know that's a like that's a big thing about music is if it feels right that sort of goes through any sort of marketing campaign or any sort of styling uh it it just it feels right so when it feels right a lot of people jump on it for that very reason you know so. yeah yeah 
No, no, I felt, and it felt, I mean, what we were doing, it, it felt right to us. It wasn't, you know, there was no real thought process. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was, okay, we just, we just did what we did, you know, mm -hmm. there weren't, there was no mathematical formula for it. It was natural. It was genuine. Yeah. Well, everything like that happens by accident. You know, it's funny to say there's some people try to engineer the fate of, of a band or of their career and a lot, and sometimes it works. But it all depends on the people who go to the record store, buy the albums. It's, it really depends on those people to pick up on it. Like, you can be exposed. Like, when you do an Edge Fest and that's your first real tour, you're playing in front of 20,000, 30,000 people a day, you know? And that's, that's huge exposure. But it's still up to yeah. you to, to wow these people. You know, I think Matt Good was on that tour, too. You know, and that was his first real yeah. big tour. Yeah, and, yeah, everybody was on that, right? Yeah, that was neat. Well, yeah, I think that all the time build up to, to doing stuff like that is where you, you walk on stage to perform it. It was no different. It wasn't too much different than if we were playing together in a tiny little club together. You know, we weren't intentionally trying to sell something. We just, we just loved doing what we were doing. Yeah. And we loved playing. We loved playing the music we were playing. You know? Yeah. I think that comes across, you know, Def people get it. Yeah, I remember that first single and going, why does this sound so great? You know what I mean? It was so explosive and it was so dynamic for how a chorus came in. You know, it was influential to me as a person that records bands. Go, it really needs, you know, it doesn't matter what genre of music. It just needs that. Those choruses just went bam. And, and, and it was, uh, it was um, you know, it was huge. It was a huge record, you know, for me, sound-wise. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. To be able to make a record and and have people love it, and then to go on Edge Fest, and then to um, feel that you're getting something back from it, it's it's it, it must feel like a uh, this huge amount of success, you know, like this whether or not whether or not um, like you're going to make it or not, you know, you're like, well, we're on our way, you know, because you were on your way at that point, you know, and yeah, the buses didn't matter in the month, you know, while we weren't really making money yet but mm -hmm. uh anyway the, yeah that's the reward is when you is when you feel that back from the audience and they're enjoying it as much as you you they enjoy listening to it as much as you enjoy playing it you know yeah if you can make that connection, if you can make that connection that's that's probably the ultimate reward right that's right and there was like you say there was no uh there's no engineered plan for that to happen. People just liked it. Yeah. And, you know, there's a the right place and the right time for everything, you know, and, and that was definitely that time. And a lot of bands that I knew too were, you know, that's, I think, 97. What was Trouble Charger doing? They weren't doing much of anything. I think they were just they were opening for the Foo Fighters or whatever on one tour. But it didn't really explode until like they almost didn't. Then they, it's funny, they made this huge album, the American Psycho album, and then got dropped on, on A&M Records and then became the most successful they've ever been in Canada. And did, did you guys went to the States a lot, huh? Yeah, we spent most of our, most of our time was in the States. We did some pretty brutal runs down there. It was, you know, our, uh, six months at a time kind of thing, van and trailer. Yeah. Uh, maybe two parks and a, you know the deal. You've, you've done those runs, you know? Go yeah. up and down the Midwest, right? Ohio to Texas, Ohio to Texas, Ohio to Texas, all over, right? And then, yeah. Uh, and do your Eastern Seaboard constantly. You know, you do that, go up and down there four or five times, and then take a couple of weeks off and then cross Canada again. And we did that for, you know, two years, two and a half years. Yeah, that was the same thing a couple of years later. Like in 2001, I was with Sum 41 as their sound guy tour manager. And we literally did a, an infinity sign in the United States. Just just, this, yeah. just figure eight. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah. You know, it was a year and a half. And they didn't even break until, you know, their next album. But there was, that's a lot. It's really hard to explain that to people. Like, although they were on a major record label and you were on a, a larger record label too, the work you got to put into it and then you get into a tour bus or, you know, and then you realize, Oh my God, I got to work 10 times harder because I got to pay for this tour bus. You know, a lot of people prepare, prepare, like preferred to stay in the van and tour, but you just can't, I mean, you, you break your body breaks, you know, you, you can't just be that guy on yeah. tour in the van. Yeah. And that's for everybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's especially true, you know, for them to be able to, 
you know, pack up and close up shop at two o'clock in the morning and I'll have to sit in the van for four hours to sleep in a motel eight for two hours and then had to load in the next day. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. You know what I mean? Every, everybody's so much healthier at that point. So I, to me, it's worth the cash. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, those, those initial, that initial year and a half for you guys, I know what that's like. It's your plan everywhere, but you, all that time you built your base. So when you got the next record out, it's, you've, you've got some, some great foundation to stand on. Right. 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 But, yeah, and the United States is where all the money is, unfortunately, for that for an industry. I don't know yeah. what what do you think it is like now with Canadian music industry versus American music industry? I mean, we have Canadian content still, but I don't really think it really does anything anymore. I, I, I think that we're just as strong up here now. We're a global community as opposed to what it was like twenty years ago. It was like, Well, you gotta make it in the States. If you don't make it in the States, you're never gonna make it in Canada, you know, even though from Canada. Yeah, you know, we have a, I've had a conversation. We've had this conversation a couple of times. I'm I'm still some of it I'm curious about. I just don't, I don't know the industry too well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do see from Canada is, you know, you take your Mac Goods and your, uh, uh, you know, all the bands that we know. Uh, how they, a lot of them just put out. You put out your record. You do your, you cross Canada thing, and then you go over to Europe for months. Mm-hmm come back you take a little break and then you do that cycle again and they're all and they're all doing pretty well yeah you know they're they're making a living doing that and they're not really crossing into the states so much you know i think that's the key yeah i i I think if you want to just stick like keep it easy and not have to deal with the brutality of the states uh just because the market's so competitive Mm -hmm. um you've got to you've got to get that european fan base would you agree with that the other thing, too, is to travel into the States, it costs tens of thousands of dollars for an independent band to go play a shithole in Cleveland. It's not worth it. You know, you can go play a shithole in Italy. Uh, no offense to the, my Italian friends, but um, you can go there and they welcome you with open arms. In fact, they give you cheaper places to stay. <laughs> you know, like uh, the, the well, gas isn't cheap. The gas is super expensive. I never figured that out. Well, like you're closer to the Middle East than us, yet your gas is twice the price. Um, <laughs> the um, yeah. the fact that you can go to Europe and people appreciate you as a musician more than you would in the states. In the states, you're just like imp- impress me, Canadian, and they, and they have this stigma against. Although you're not Canadian, you're a de facto Canadian. You're now, you know what I mean, like. <laughs> You, you're, you, but when you go, Americans have this funny look at Canadians. They say like, "Oh, you silly Russians, you left-wing weirdos with your healthcare and 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 your uh, and your Canadian content rules." And uh, they have yeah, this I don't, weird look. I don't, to them. I, don't think, I don't think that that was really our experience. I think mm. I, I think there was a there was a draw to our bands from a from a musician's standpoint. Like we built our following around that. I don't know if anybody really cares if we were Canadian. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm talking from a fan from a fan perspective. Sure. Right. You yeah. know, not maybe not so much from a from a business perspective. But I think if you've got something cool to sell, and you need the cash, mm-hmm. you know, who supports? Who's going to put up? You know, a hundred grand to go to go? You know, tour in the states for a month, right? <laughs> no. Right. That's a lot. But and it is, and it is. You brought up uh, going back to the beginning of this part of the conversation. We talked about the Europe thing and how you go over there and people are. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. It's not about. It's not about product. They just appreciate music, mm-hmm. which is something we always wanted to experience. And I never, I never could figure out, and I was never really told why we never did that. Like, why didn't we ever build a base in Europe? Why didn't we get the hell out and do it a long time ago? And this year was like, this was the year was the first year we went. We went to Germany for just like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. And you know, those tiny little rooms, you play like 100 or 200 seat rooms. At the, but everybody just, they're watching everything you do. And they're listening to all the parts. You know, they're really, that's cool. Like, I, I, could, I could stay there and play music forever. I love that <laughs> I don't care where we play. Right? Yeah. No one's talking while they're while they're listening. You know, everybody's yeah. just very attentive, and it's cool. I love it. 
I'm so glad you got to experience that. You know, I went over in 32 with a band and we went over, I went over six times between 2003 and 2012. And I have never had so much love and appreciation and acceptance. And I've sort of, I've thought long and hard about this, you know, and I'm at this point, I was a 32 year old person. My music career in Canada was done. You know, there was nothing for me in 2003. I put a record out in Europe and I had some good strong connections and we go over and open up for some 41 and play in front of 2000 people a night. I've never seen so many happy people for my music ever. <laughs> Still, I haven't seen, you know, to this day. The fact that there is somebody who appreciates and I and I've talked about this on this show before but I and I jokingly say but I think there's some truth in there. They have art, they have culture, they've had spoken word longer than than North Americans. They have a gene that I think can appreciate art and culture more. And the, the only example of that is there was a long time, I don't know what it's like now, but there was never any real like MTV, um, which was image-based music industry. It was like... Yeah, yeah you know, it, it's, it was like, we just want to hear your music and we love your music. And Germans, I jokingly, they tell you exactly how they feel. There's no filter, you know, they'll tell you, hey, you look really fat and old, you know. <laughs> <You're not Yeah. afraid. laughs> I, don't, I don't mind honesty so much. I you know. know. <laughs> For once, yeah, for once, yeah. And yeah, so are you going to plan, are you planning on going over there more just for the fact that it's people, you know, for the reason that you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always a discussion, right? Uh, like, why, 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 why battle? Mm -hmm. You know, we know that we could do, I mean, people have been telling us, especially for the, the kind of stuff that we're playing, that it's really a perfect place for us to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and that we could, we could really build a, a great thing there. Um, I mean, right now we're in the midst of some changes. So there's some business stuff, change in management, mm -hmm. uh, change in the company and some of those things are going on. So we're, we're pushing that this year will be that change, you know, that we'll be able to, we'll be able to get over there and, and, and really build something up there. So that we don't, maybe you won't have to do the battle of the States, but it'd be, it'd be okay. great to go down there too. You know? Yeah. So, well, you can't, you can't isolate yourself from, you know, Americans, you know, you can't say that on this forum to say, hey, you know, fuck America. I'm not going there anymore. <laughs> can't say that. I can. I can. Because I'll, I'll probably never, ever play there ever again. But to go there, I know it still costs money to get there. It still costs money to play there. But the reward is, it's maybe not monetary. The reward is from the respect and love from people that come and see your band. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, you cool. know, do you think that there's... um. Yeah, everything goes in circles, right? Music, music always does the big circle for trends and things. Do you think? Do you think we're getting back into '90s rock? Like, uh, do you think there's this new upswing on? You know, is it is it time for that to happen again? Because I know, like, Rusty's back together, I, Treble Charger's back together, like, you know, Mac Good's playing I, tours and stuff. Yeah, I just saw. I mean, you came from Sorry in Alago. Mm -hmm. so I went to yeah, great band. Um, I, it's something that I pray for, you know. Mm -hmm. It would be cool to just see the market swing back to. I mean, look at the '90s. There was still a lot of. There was variety in yeah. the top ten. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what would be cooler than it to be like that, or you know, like the '70s when you had like, you know, you had Leonard Skinner, Zeppelin, Yes, mm -hmm. you know, all in the top ten with Mark, you know, Dire Straits, and like all this really cool stuff. Yeah. It would be great to see that again to get to just get back to music. Yeah. Not all this image-driven digital product. You know what I mean? The it'd be cool to hear writing again in the in the in pop, right? You know what I mean? You can't say that that's everywhere because there's a lot of great stuff out there. Yeah, I, I think so. music's morphing a lot now. With it comes to, when it comes to people, still don't know how to use today's technology to make a niche we're still in its infancy stage you know like they've got it down but then what it takes like a huge big change in that society to make better you know like for instance when say nirvana broke nirvana broke they broke all the rules they were these guys who couldn't play well, they could play but they, they weren't guns and roses they weren't you know metallica they were these dudes from you know that could kind of play music and people loved it because they spoke to a generation 
we need that again. And because society is so fractured that, you know, my son listens to to uh to all sorts of like listens to pop radio, but he also knows who Green Day is. That I don't think that existed twenty years ago. I think we liked the Beatles, but we also liked Slayer. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm talking up my ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, there were and you couldn't get two that are anywhere you know close to, together. But now it's so readily available. I mean, just just Spotify alone it boggles my mind on how instant your senses can be quenched because it's there. I wonder if that can be just too much overload all the time. Like it's there's just too much to choose from. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make yourself that thing to be chosen? The, the you know, that that's what people want to listen to is you. How do you do that when there's like seven zillion you know, there's access to so much stuff, you know? There was a time and I wasn't around for it, but when like say Zeppelin came to Toronto that was the most important thing to that city that night, you know, Led Zeppelin's coming to town. And now I bet you Led Zeppelin could come through and we're like, what they played when like two days ago, what, you know? So, because you from what you're saying, there's too much overload. How do you, yeah. how do you filter that? You know, because there is a lot of noise out there, a lot of digital where everybody's, everything's happening all the time. I, but I truly think in waves that when music turns into, you know, comes around again, that people will start not looking at their, I hope people won't be like checking their phones out every two minutes. People, there will be a, a movement. Like, remember there was this weird little movement where everybody went to the flip phone again. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going archaic. I don't, you know, because it became consuming to them. It takes a big movement for people to say, you know, but then it's so goddamn convenient, you know, like, what's the score in the hockey game? Oh, I'll tell you exactly, you know. Uh, <laughs> access to information. It's just the kind of stuff that like, drives you crazy at shows. Mm -hmm. it's, been, it's been a long time since I've toured and did anything until we got back, until I got back together with Dan and we did, you know, the Albatross records and stuff. Mm -hmm. I haven't really been on the road in 10 years, you know. Mm -hmm. And going back into audiences in the 2,000 seat rooms or whatever, and everybody's watching the show through their cell phone. Mm -hmm. Like what the? Like what are you doing? You're missing. You're missing the whole thing. Yeah, and it's going to go on YouTube, and it was recorded with a really bad microphone through a really yeah, bad camera, like and it's going to get on you YouTube. Yeah, you missed the whole thing. Yeah, you know? but the other is is a <laughs> misrepresentation of your band. Because they are going to put it on YouTube, and they are going to show like this shaky footage of you way off in the yeah. distance. That does I'm nothing. Drunk guy yelling in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that does nothing to anybody. Uh, I understand that you know, that you need as a music, you need content to show people to say, "Here we are, and this is our stuff." But that's bad. That's bad re representation when it sounds bad and it looks bad, and it is bad because of those two reasons. Might be the best show yeah. ever, but there's no feeling that from a live show that only a live show can capture, you know? Yeah. I would like to see, you know, what you're talking about is for people to, to come around to that again, mm -hmm. go on and sit and just listen and pay attention to what they're seeing. You know? Yeah. Not that constant distraction. Like when you leave the house to go to the show tonight, mm -hmm. leave the phone in your car. Leave the phone home for your own good. Ah, your phone just <laughs> yeah. went off. Ah, <laughs> yeah, talk talk to the next the person next to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, how about this? Here's an idea. You can actually check your phone with your coat, so you can have a free yeah. coat check, but leave your phone inside of it, and you can't videotape anything or anybody. It's your experience, and then when something special happens, people will talk about it and then it'll become this myth and this legend that it'll perpetuate. But, you know, that's another thing we're missing is that when um, Jim Morrison pulled his pants down, um, was there a video of it? Was there a guy putting it up on YouTube that night? You know what I mean? No, there was like 3,000 people or whatever that saw that and then that became the story, you know, that yeah, made that him famous. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's, is that overexposure now, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, do people have too much access to you all the time that there's never curiosity? There's never, you know, there's no reasons. Like, I know everything. I've seen everything about you, and I'm just going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And there's no mystique or mystery, right, about you at all. 
Yeah, well, I did. You know, Sia. Sia is doing that very. She's in, reinvented herself and brought all these great, well, great songs, in my opinion. But she covers her face. And this is a, a specific thing that she has her hair in front of her face so you can't see who, what she looks like. And she's, her whole reason for what you're saying is to have a little bit of mystique and a little bit of intrigue and a little bit of this. Like, you know, when Kiss wore makeup, it's like, wow, that's really cool. I wonder who these people are, you know? So she I never gave it up. No. Until. Lick it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a bad album. I didn't like that album at all. <laughs> Do you but anyway, want, anyway, I mean, I agree with you. That you need, we need a little bit of uh, a little bit of mystery, you know, and you know. But you know, at the same time, we have these things called podcasts, and podcasts is an interesting way that people can figure out who you are, you know, or they can they can listen to a conversation of you know of two middle aged men prattle on about what it used to be like, and for some reason they find. <laughs> <laughs> back in the old days when we had the uh no internets and you know the but here we are we're we're talking about that and there are people out there who are 20 years younger than us that find that fascinating because they're not used they don't know what it was like to be that because they were too young you know i work with people who are 20 years younger than me you know i was 20 years old and touring and they were babies <laughs> crazy yeah yeah the yeah things have changed just a little bit remember we were i think dave was like the first one we got our first bus probably 98 or 99 so maybe 98 could have been a little earlier it's crunchy old green smelly old thing but it was i know that one first bus, man. it's awesome yeah but uh we had i had one of those i was the only guy i think who had a phone for a while and it was my was my girlfriend and it was one of those huge things that looked like mm -hmm. you know you'd be like in world war ii with the guy laying on the ground <laughs> cranking it <laughs> the and it was like five thousand dollars a second yeah 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 and, and then later it was dave who i think was the first one and probably chuck you probably know chuck ferguson tour manager sound guy yes yeah he was our guy for years and yeah, they were probably the first to like bring a computer on the bus and have internet and like fan stuff. You know, Dave Henning was sitting down, you know, doing fan stuff on whatever that I didn't even know what the hell it was. You know what I mean? I, we still just had that. I was still talking into this giant phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, the first time I ever saw someone on a bus with a, with a computer was Mark Crane. He brought a, a laptop. It was a Mac. And I think the only thing we'd play on it was Sims. I think that was the game we had. And it was like, it wasn't even a color screen. It was grayscale. And this is like 97, 96, maybe. So, you know, well, yes. it moved fast, yeah. huh? Like, you know, technology moved fast from the mid 90s to, to 2005. We, we got a lot of cool stuff. Like, yeah. And yeah. and it's still getting better. I mean, it still needs to be like when you're talking about computer assisted recording. I would like to think that people are turning their music into a little bit more, making it more as real as possible, as opposed to trying to make it as fake as possible. Just the metal kids, the metal kids, they got to get together because those kick drums, they don't they don't work for me. You know, what I mean the the perfect, you know, you're not fooling anybody. <laughs> it sounds like a machine. It doesn't sound real. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. the music is changing and it's evolving. I, I would hope to think that people are now using computers just to capture it because they were sick and tired of listening to um, share vocals and things like this. Yeah. Yeah. Pitch correction and all that fun stuff, right? Yeah. 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 yeah and you, you, should be able to, you should be able to do your gig, I think. You know? Yeah. And you, being a trained musician, it must drive you even more nuts because... You know, I play, I took piano lessons and I took conservatory and, but I also, I love the fact that I can fix a mistake in, yeah. in, in Pro Tools. I love that. <laughs> but, yeah. but you. No, I, I love it. Yeah, it's an excuse, but you got to be careful with it, right? Yeah. Like a doctor's not going to get, doctor's, doctor's not going to get away with that, you know? He's got to operate, he's got to cut the guy's chest open, he's got to do his gig, you know? There's no, 
there's not nine million doctors that just you know. No, that's true. <laughs> Actually, got to do, do a job. We'll we fix. Yeah, we we'll fix do. it later. We'll fix it later. You know, we 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 did some damage, but I think we can fix it later. You know, moving on. Yeah, yeah we left the fork in there. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so but, what? Uh, I was trying to start this website where people did this, and it seems like Skype won. You know, when it came to because what we're doing this conversation through this video link is a. Uh, it's embedded into the website, so you can actually um, use this method rather than using Skype. So you don't need to give your personal information to anybody. You know, we just connect. But but teaching over Skype, it just must be a really cool thing because you nobody's like, you know, nobody's in your house. You know, like you know, people can be on their side of the world and want to teach and or want to learn from you, and that's that must feel pretty cool too. Yeah, well, this is where technology is really cool. Like, I love the idea of this of what you're doing. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. The podcaster just, you know, talk with talk with artists, and you have experience in the business too. Like you've been there, so it's cool. And you can you can listen to a lot of cool stuff from a fan perspective, and even from you know musicians or touring guys, guys like ourselves. Or you know, this is a great thing to listen to. I think it's cool. Well, yeah. Um, Thanks. The the Skype thing uh, for me when I heard about it. It was more about when we have downtime, being able to um, being able to like I still have students come to my apartment, uh, but when I go on the road, a lot of those people you you lose right because you're gonna say you gotta go on the road for two months or three months, um, you know you can't you lose the consistency with them and it's no good for them either right they need consistency especially the younger guys. Mm -hmm. um, but this I can do. This I can keep them all. Like if I'm, you know, I can I can be backstage before a show, or wherever, and 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 teach, right? Mm -hmm. So it's cool, and it's great for fans to fans to get involved too, you know, and learn mm -hmm. learn directly from the artists as well. It's pretty cool. You know, I think it's a pretty cool cool deal. So it's, and it keeps me busy. Yeah. During our during our off time, it. Uh, you know, I've got to dig back into my theory and make sure I'm working on my chops. And, you know, I've got to make sure I've got all that stuff together. And that's really good for me, too. So it, mm -hmm. it's good all the way around. I like it. I like it a lot. Is there an age group and an age or skill set category where it works better than others? Say, like, someone who can kind of all play already? Or is it good for all skill sets from beginner to... I I think the Skype thing I think is better for like intermediates and up. It's it's difficult to do with beginners. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it too much with beginners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you need a little more hands on, a little more guidance with just holding the instrument. It gets a little weird if the camera's not right and yeah, you know they have to mess around. And you need to just focus just on getting them situated with the instrument. You know what I mean? And getting their hands to just make a sound. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't I yeah. wouldn't. And just literally moving a hand two frets to the left is easier than saying two frets to the left. No, not my left, your left. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you're spending the whole yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, but yeah, up up from up from beginner, you know, it's it's worked out really well. Everybody, yeah. have, everybody I've been doing this with uh, has has been coming back consistently, and they like it a lot. So it's been good. And you can really switch cool. your notifications off and everything, right? Because what drove me nuts with using Skype, and the only reason I came to this technology, was that whenever someone came on Skype, you hear blah, 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 you know, you hear that, like, um, that notification. And I don't know if you could switch it off, but, but when I was using it, there was this time when Skype was amazing. And it was amazing before Microsoft got its gritty little fingers in there. It was, um, I don't know what happened. I think they tried to make it to, um, snappy or too good and for that everybody suffered but uh it seems now I, I haven't used skype in a long time but it must be better now i don't know you know i couldn't compare it because i really didn't get into it uh probably about a year and a half ago is when i started mm -hmm. doing this when we got off the road yeah because skype's been around again, i wouldn't be able to compare it yeah i don't i find it's fast as long as as long as both people, uh, you know, you have good, I have a good connection. It's yeah. The problem, it's in time, it's clear, and yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't like I said, I couldn't compare. No. Yeah, because Skype's been around for almost ten years. Well, it's been around since two thousand and eight, that I remember. 
And when I first joined up on it, um, it was like they gave you 50 euros of credit. And I uh, joined up. And when I went to Europe, I used pretty much like 20 euros of credit on it. And so I had it all the way from, you know, <laughs> from for almost two years without using any credit. And it was amazing. I saved so much money with it. Cause I, and at that time, Wi-Fi wasn't locked down as much as it is now. So you just walk through somebody's like to their front the front of their house and you would catch a Wi-Fi signal and then I would sit on their front yard and call my wife and and call home with my iPhone with the with the uh SIM card taken out and and it was it was amazing. Like it's it changed how everything how people communicate. And now like Google's on board. Google has a a telephone function where you can actually call phones and it's free in North America. And I don't think, uh, I think there's other things, but this technology is called WebRTC and it basically embeds the video and audio and, and say, with, if I type in uh, Brian123 and you type in Brian123, we connect. And, and to me, I think that's, that's pretty strong stuff. That's pretty powerful stuff. Like that in, yeah. on this great big world that I can connect to you just by typing the same letter or the same, you know, phrase, then it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, this works really well. I've never used it before, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know, I know, what are you saying on Skype? I know that you can, uh, I'm not going to talk just stuff <laughs> my brain. Long day of theory, so I, never mind, next thing. Yeah, yeah, Excuse yeah. Me. I got a long day too. I mean, my, I'm so busy these days, and tomorrow my the venue I work at we're doing Gowan. Gowan's coming to coming to our venue. Where so, are you now? I work at the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts, and that oh, is okay, cool. just north of Toronto. And uh, I was at York University for ten years, um, doing sound there, and I just got this job uh, in in Richmond Hill, and it's been super rewarding and super fun. And uh, like we have like Gowan's coming through, Kim Mitchell's coming through. They do a lot of presents. Steve Stephen Wright, the comedian's coming through. So uh, awesome! Yeah, awesome. he's one of my favorites. He's awesome. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait I for that. Him. He's insane. I love him. So what's, very cool. Yeah. So what's up with what's up with the Big Rack? You're still playing, but what's what's in the future? What's going on? Uh, like I said before, like new business stuff. So there's been some changes there. Yeah. Uh, and we're looking at uh, going and doing a new record. Mm -hmm. We were talking about, you were just, before we were talking about trying to do some things old school and stay away from a lot of technology. And I think we're going to try and take that, we'd like to try and take that approach on this one. So we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. You know, do more of a live kind of thing. Yeah. Because so, you, you, now yeah. you can just record right off the floor and things sound phenomenal. You could, maybe you couldn't do that 20 years ago unless there was some sacrifices to be made. Ron Hawkins of the Rusty Nails and the Do Goods and Lois and Low, he did a live off the uh, off the floor album, and it sounded like a real production to me. Like uh, it sounded like a real record, you know. He's like, "No, we just practiced, <laughs> played live live yeah. off the floor." He said, "We played it a hundred yeah. times, but uh, it's still live." You know what I mean? That's where that's where we need to go. Yeah, I think so. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that's our, our mix of modern technology and old school, right? When we combine combine them both, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we're we're uh, should be going in soon to do some free pro and jamming and writing and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, we'll have something finished by the end of the summer. We've got we got some on. We're actually going to be up in Richmond Hill for the uh, Cosmos. I guess we're playing one of the shows there. Headline. Uh, oh, they're a sponsor of ours. So you'll you'll meet. When is that? When is that happening? June. Is yeah. it June? I think it is. I think you're right. I'll I'll fact check it because uh, Cosmo Music is our main sponsor, and I thought they were just like a Long and McQuaid style store, but you know this is a spot for them. This is they're pretty impressive things. Like their backline company alone, the part of their backline is the most pro looking, well maintained backline because we rent backline off of them to do our shows. Great stuff. Oh, cool. It's awesome. It's wow. maintained, and they're very cool. Yeah. Cosmo music, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be up. We're going to do that. We've got uh, a couple shows in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, at Niagara Fit. There's only like four shows right now in the bill. So we've got some scattered festival stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, we'll just be working on a record. And mm -hmm. Hopefully be on the road by fall, but 
you know how it goes, right? Yeah. What's your hopes? Are, your hopes to get it done and get out on the road and get to work and go yeah. play, right? But it doesn't work that way. What's the direction? Can you can you talk about where it's going and and like direction wise? Like, are you revisiting uh, older influences or? I think the influence is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's at this point, there's just too much to material. I think to really say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've bounced some stuff back and forth with Ian. Ian's got you know millions of things as usual that are all really cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of broad. You know what I mean? Do it's you, hard to say. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. You can, you can say right now, okay, we want the record to sound like this. And, you know, you get into the studio or you start writing and jamming with everybody and things can change, right? So what yeah. you think you're going to do six months down the road is totally different. So. Well, that's the joy of so. making a record with a bunch of people that you know, that you can, you can trust them to put ideas into it and, make it better or you can have a conversation to say i don't like that and this is why and, and you know that a lot of people that's that's what we need to revisit is like the making of an album like uh i don't know like like what wilco did with yankee foxtrot you know and they they just wrote this album and it became their one of their biggest albums but at the same time there was a lot of deconstruction and there was a lot of thoughts and a lot of arguments but the product's amazing yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really yeah, cool. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all we all share the same influences. We all listen to the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Most of it's seventies blues rock and blues and sure. You know what I mean? So, yeah. What's your favorite Pink Floyd album? Uh, as of late, Animals. I have always been an Animals fan. I listen to Dogs um, religiously every day for thirty days on a tour. Every day. <laughs> I could put me to sleep. It was great. That album is a special album. I think everybody should. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I love that album. I think it's missed. I think it's. I think it's missed. It's mm-hmm. really, it's really simple. There's not, there's not a huge production on it, but it sounds great. It's just keys, guitar, bass, drums, and it's not like what they got into on the wall. And there's not a lot of instrumentation. It's great. I I listen to the just the drumming and as simple as that record is on drums, I think how can he play? Because he's playing for twenty two minutes. There obviously is some hard edits and got to be some tape edits in there, but it's the same drum sound <laughs> from the top of that song to the end. And even yeah. when it gets into the weird synthy weird stuff, he's still playing ride. You know, he's still keeping time. And still there. Still there. Yeah. And yeah. it was his studio. Yeah, he yeah. bought the studio to basically record that album in. And and I think The Wall became their, obviously, their swan song and their most popular album. But Animals, man, you wouldn't have, if you didn't have Animals, you wouldn't have had The Wall. Because Animals sort of was big for them, too. But they'd had enough, you know, of, of yeah. I could talk Pink Floyd all night. I love Pink Floyd. You know, I listen to a lot of music, but Pink Floyd is one of those albums that I can just put. I'll probably listen to it tonight. I have it on my phone. You know, I. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. You know to- what it reminds me? Of? I love going back and listening to that stuff, and I, I still have the LP too. But it was. I remember it always reminds me of the days when you were you were, couldn't wait to get out of school so that you could run to the record store. And put all the change you had scratched up out of your pockets onto the counter and buy a copy of it. And when you got a copy of a record back then, it was an event. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it was a listening event. You you ran home and you sat down and you sat in front of your stereo and you listened to it over again. And your attention, there was nothing that could draw your attention away from it. You're so focused and just savoring every note and everything. You know? Yeah, reading all the liner notes and you know everything. You know, I just, I, that's one of those records to me. Yeah. You know, it's not only just about the content, the musical content, and everything on it, but it's, sure. it's the memories of those things. You know, we just, you don't do that so much anymore. You know. No, I, I agree with you. Okay. I, yeah, I agree. I, I had a conversation with um, a guy, Kale, Kale Madsen, and he was talking about vinyl and how special it was to him. He's like, he's probably twenty three, twenty four, but my only counter to that was. When I'm walking in the woods and I have my iPod and I'm listening to a song, I feel the music sometimes more 
when I'm in the woods walking, and and that's one part I think I've when I it's the same feeling but the exact opposite. That when I kind I came home when I cracked open Hemispheres by Rush and I put it on the turntable and I go this is this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, this changed my yeah. life. That, that that record I learned to play bass to. So when I when I sit and listen to that album now, I I go back to the exact living room that I listened to it in, and I hold it in such high um, regard as well as animals. And animals, we uh, we did a lot of. We had this little boat, and we'd go up through the these little canals and stuff. And that that was a big record at the time, and that takes me to that time when I was listening to it there. So everything's so geographical, you know. So yeah 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 your environment right actually yeah yeah, yeah. makes it feel better yeah. you know and i listened to animals on a tour bus for 30 days in a row and i don't know why i did it i just did and it put me to sleep and it made me feel better <laughs> <laughs> yeah great what a great record even it's super depressing too it's so depressing that you know, listen to it it's like so skeptical and ah but it's my favorite album <laughs> That's, I don't think Waters has really written anything different than that, has he? No. He doesn't seem like a particularly happy kind of guy, but no. great, great stuff. I'm afraid if I meet Roger Waters, I will hate Pink Floyd, because when I see him in interviews, I try not to listen to it, because I think he's a bit of a dick. I think. <laughs> you know, I've gotten, to this, I've gotten to the point, well, I got to this point a long time ago where there's some artists, you know, actors as well as musicians that mm-hmm. I have I have this image of them and I'm sure part of it's imagined you know it's what I make them up to be mm-hmm. or you know what I really would like them to be you know my hero mm-hmm. but I just I've, I've learned to just as soon as I hear them speak just like just close my ears and run away because <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't want to be let down you know yeah especially like you know, you get closer, you get bigger in the business and you make more connections with bigger people. And you go into studios and you start to hear, you know, the war stories about the road or what this guy's like and what this guy is like. And some of it can be, you know, oh, no, he's not like that. No way. He's just totally ruined. <laughs> I crushed my image of him. Yeah. I can't listen to him. Yeah. Well, you know, I work with bands and now it turns into I stick with them because I like them. And that's what makes me still do this is that I, I like the people I work with and I don't necessarily yeah. need to like the music. I just like them as people, which involve actually makes me like their music. It, it, does that make sense? Uh, I, I, you know, I could be coming into a new gig with a band I don't know. And they're just such cool people that I can open up my, whatever, my taste to say, oh, I like your band. And I don't know why I like your band. I just like you as a person. That's going to make me like you, yeah. your your music. I don't know if that's judgmental or weird, but... Uh, it's... No, I get it. I mean, uh, you know, if there's one thing, if, if you're not inside that situation, I think you're outside, you know? Mm-hmm. Not something you can really explain. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing quite like being on the road with, you know, for two months or three months or six months or whatever with the, with a group of people uh, all doing the same thing in and out every night and, and sharing... You know, sharing music and, and working really hard and traveling and experiencing and uh, you know I, I think we're really 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 fortunate to do that to be able to experience that. Yeah. I mean, I've met, and we've been really lucky. Like over the class, over the last couple of years, well, since the Albatross record, we've had just some great crew guys and tour managers and lighting guys and you know, it's where everybody's hanging out together, band and crew, and everybody's together hanging out, you know, you can sit down, we eat dinner together, we work together. That's really cool, you know. It's really, like, yeah. like, I'm really, really fortunate, you know, we got to remember, we got to be grateful for that stuff. It's really cool. It's like a cool little club, you know, you're, 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 you're a little band of pirates yeah. that sort of get in a vehicle and take off. There's still that mystique of touring and having your club, you know, and you know, same same with me. Like when I'd go, I'd get in a van as a musician and we'd be playing with other bands. It felt so much closer to the other bands and everybody felt closer because you were seeing the same people every day, you know, for days on end. And it felt like when they left, you're like, oh, that bums me out. You know, I, feel, <laughs> I wish we could do this forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Going, like, going home, it's like that. Uh, there's another thing people understand. It's like, yeah. 
you know, you're out for a while and you want to go home and then you're home for like a week and you can't, you're just dying to get back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Get back yeah. to camp. You just so close, you get so close to people. You know? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a drug, right? Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you actually, you, you, when, when, cause I, like I said, you, you appreciate music. You can tell that there's, there's music and the, the, the experience is just as important as say all the, the success and dollars and cars oh, and things. And, and you still love music because you teach people. And that's another thing that, you know, I think there's, that's a, that's a good tell, you know, like, you know, so you're, you're, you're still doing it. And do you think though, if you had a choice to do something else in this, I've never asked this question, but if you had a chance to do something other than music or, you know, what do you have anything like I could have done something else? You know, you obviously, I think I know the answer, but sell hats or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to say. I mean, the first thing I think of is just trade. Like I was, I did a lot of carpentry work. I framed for a living. I did that kind of stuff. I love carpentry. Mm -hmm. I love it for the rewarding and every day is different and you're always learning. Yeah. You know, I love that kind of thing. Uh, and I still do it. Like I do it for a hobby. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind at the moment. I don't know what else I do. Well, it's funny you'd say like carpentry, like finished carpentry and stuff. Like that's 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 an art. That's a trade. That's a talent. Yeah. That some people are better than others at. Like I I can't yeah. do trim. I don't understand. You know what I mean? But uh, but I think that that coincides with art because you want to be better. You not you understand the growth that you start here with a with this knowledge and then you learn something and then you become better. And in a nutshell that's what playing the guitar is right you know you 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 figure you make you you figure something out and you usually do it either through research or you do it through mistake and then you figure oh okay i know what to do now so you know that's yeah. cool because that's sort of what you just said it sort of coincides with with uh, with carpentry well yeah, yeah what did you think what did you think i was gonna say i don't know like because I talk to people who say, like, if I only studied harder in school, maybe I'd be a lawyer or so. You know what I mean? Like, I have people that a lot of them don't mean it. You know what I mean? But, but I, I, I you know, they, there's a the problem with music and playing it for a long time is sometimes, sometimes people get a little bit judgmental about things. And I don't hear it in you. I hear, I hear a lot of positivity and I like that. <laughs> but I hear, I, you know, I hear good positive energy and I hear good vibes and, and all that stuff. But I, I talk to some people who feel that, that the music owes them something or the, the music they gave should be more successful. And I, I disagree with that. I think if you, you know, be, just being able to play music in front of people is enough, you know, my opinion. And, and you, if you like to play music, like some people love to play hockey, but they're not going to be a professional hockey player by a long shot, right? So you got to figure out why do I play hockey? Well, I love playing hockey. Okay, well, there you go. That's your answer. You don't need to, you don't need to make a million dollars playing hockey. You just go play hockey. Yeah, that's, that's your motivation, right? Mm -hmm. like, if it's honest, mm -hmm. for real, then, then yeah, then you should do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mean, who cares? If, if, if money's your motivation, then you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, hey man, I uh I, I appreciate you coming on the show and whenever you want to come come back, this is fun, you know. And I find that we can I could talk for three hours with, with someone like you, but I feel that it's like first of all, we both have other things to do in the morning. And the other thing is that I, th I think we we could do a chapter two in, in a year from now, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, like uh if you ever want to come on the show again, please let me know or, you know, and we'll... Yeah, well, anytime. It was a blast. That was cool. I really like this. It's very cool and comfortable. Like it. For real. Thanks, yeah. man. Well, yeah, I'll um, hit stop now. Brian Doherty, everybody. He's a good dude. We had fun. Nice long one, huh? 64 minutes. Everybody, don't forget about Audible. AudibleTrial.com slash Get your free audiobook and sign up now. Support the show. 
Amazon.com. Don't forget to go to Appalog.ca and click on those banners. Patreon.com slash Appalog is a place to pledge to the show on a monthly basis. InsightRecorders.com with a thousand different services and tons of fun things available to you and your, I don't know, whatever. Hey, but yeah, with, actually, back to Patreon. There's a few benchmarks there. If you want to pledge a certain amount per month, you get certain more rewards. So, for instance, if you pledge four bucks, you actually get the whole discography from the uh, from Foursquare. If you pledge more than four dollars, like ten bucks, then you get a mention for your business once per month. If you pledge forty bucks a month, you actually get one every month, uh, a spot. Okay, everybody. So, thank you so much for listening to this show. I forgot to tell you about the Appalock.ca/shop shop on stuff. I have to add that to the uh, to the notes here when I make my spots. And I'm too lazy to go back and tell you about it at the start of the show because it doesn't really matter. Thank you so much for listening to the show, everybody. I'll see you next week with Tyler Wilkinson from the Small Town Pistols as well as the Wilkinsons. He's a man, I don't know if you remember Amanda, but Amanda was on like a month ago. Well, This is the companion piece to it. And that's Tyler, her Amanda's younger brother. Thanks so much for listening to the show, everybody. I'll see you next week. Bye. Yeah.